host Mordechai Weinberger on jrootradio.com. We, of course, have it hosted on Yeshiva World and on the lakewoodscoop.com. And, of course, we'd like to thank Rav Nissen for having and taking care of jrootradio.com and Aaron over here, making sure that everything is working as efficient with all the callers that we've got going on. For those of you that would like to call in and ask your question, the number to call into the studio is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And we will be taking some text. Of course, we usually take um, the callers, those more than text, but the number if you'd like to text in, if we will get to it, is 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. So you're listening to, you're on with your host, Mordechai Weimerger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weimerger, licensed clinical social worker. Let's go to Moishi on line one. Moishi, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yeah, hi, how are you? Baruch Hashem, fantastic. That's great. Okay, um, before I tell my question, I want to ask you uh, one small thing. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you're going to start having on your program, on your on your website, all the programs you gave on, on your phone line. Uh, is that happening soon? I would like it to happen soon. I would have liked it to have happened already. But, uh, Merit Hashem, hopefully it will be soon, but it's not yet. Okay, fine. Okay, now, um, my question is, I, I, I spoke to you last week, and they told me I should call him this week because you need more time to deal with this. Um, the question was, I wanted to know why, why is it that when it comes to speaking to strangers, and to just random people on the street. I don't mind talking to them, and I could talk to them for a long time. When it comes to, like, like my Mashiach, or Shiva, or be like, someone, which, someone like, like who I know pretty well, I get all, like, scared and nervous, and, like, I blink, I want to speak to them, and I start stuttering, and it's really hard to talk to them. It's like, I get very nervous. Yeah. And what was the response? Do you remember the response that we gave the short no, no, version? So, no, so there's no response. But you just told me I should, you just told me I should call back this week, because... Because it was very, because it was very, I don't know, it was very short time last week. Ah, so. Okay, fine. I thought we, oh, I thought you're similar to the question of the person that when he had to speak, he was able to speak publicly, but when it came to benching, he couldn't bench. No, right, no, so I was the same person, but I. Had two I know questions. that. So, what was the advice we gave you? Let's first deal with that. No, but it's two different questions. You understand that, right? Okay. Yes. Did the first one help? Oh, no, the first one... I always I mean, those I of you that know, we always start over here with a positive. That's the way I start my clients. That's the way I start my day. We always right. start off thanking Hashem. So did that advice make sense? Did it help you? Well, yeah, it sure did. I mean, I didn't, be- I didn't bench yet for I- over Shabbat because I didn't speak this week, but I'm going to speak this coming weekend, and uh, I feel a lot more confident than I was before, yes. Excellent. Definitely. So let's start with the first step. So the, the suggestion, the advice, right? So the question was that you asked... Why is it that you can speak publicly to a lot of people who don't have a problem, but if they also ask you to bench or daven for the Amid, it's a lot more stress. So the first question we simply asked was, maybe it's just practicing the Ivra, just having the Havar to say it the correct way and also how to practice um, getting these things done well. So if you say it several times in advance and you practice it, then it should go smoother. Great. So to that level, it makes sense. And over the week, you're feeling more and more confident. Now let's go back. What is now your now? What's the question that the second that second question that we're going to address now? My question is that when that when it comes to speaking to like strangers, which I don't know so well, I, I know I can speak to them and you know everything's everything's okay. But when it comes to to have to speak to my rishiv about something or or you know, like even ask him a question of learning or even Rebbe or Shomishiv, someone which someone which I know you know pretty well, I get very nervous and I get like very you know, stressed out, and, like, and I start stuttering, and my mind goes blank when I speak to them. I want to know, why is, it, why is that so? 
So as I work, there are many logical reasons that I can come up with, but I usually like having the client, the person, identify it within themselves. So let me ask you an interesting question. What do you think is different within yourself when you speak to your mashgiach or, or principals over when you speak to friends, even to strangers? So I thought about it like a while, and I think, um, I mean, I, I don't know if it makes sense, but you told me, I think that maybe it's because, um, maybe I'm like, a stranger, like, doesn't know me so well, so I don't care, like, what I tell him, I don't care what he thinks about me, I don't care, like, you know, like, after my conversation, I don't think what, I don't care what he'll think about me afterwards, so I don't, so, like, I don't care what happens, I just, like, talk, but when it comes to, like, Marshiva or someone which I know personally, so, like, I'm more afraid to, like, like, I'm more afraid of making mistakes, more afraid of what he might think about me. So I get all nervous and it just breaks my whole mind out. Excellent. And you're exactly correct. So now let's understand what you're saying. What you're saying is that when it's a stranger, where you don't have stress, you don't have that commitment, that pressure, you're easy, you're yourself. When there's stress, when you have pressure, you're afraid of making a mistake or being understood or being looked down at, you might say something, you might even lose your value, then your mind gets nervous, correct? Right. Now, let's take it a step further. There's an interesting Gemara that's similar to that. And that is where, for us men, that we have our mitzvahs, for the women, when they have their responsibilities, the concept is, Godol Mitzvah which means if we have a mitzvah that we have to do something, it is harder to do it when you have the responsibility and the pressure. That word responsibility makes it so much harder. So if someone is helping their mother, it's so much easier than now that that baking, or let's, let's say someone's helping the mother bake, but now they are responsible for the baking, just that word responsibility changes the whole reality. And that's one of the points that I always talk, many times, unfortunately, I hear people speak about people that came into power. Let's say someone became a Rav, someone became a Rosh Hashiva, someone has built a business and they're now successful, someone is now married and Baksham has a successful marriage, and people go... Ah, this person could never be successful. Do you know what they did when they were younger? Do you know what they did 20 years ago? What's the difference what they did 20 years ago? They are now a different person. Responsibility changes you. You are different. Look at who you are now. Don't let those people of the past trap you into the past. So let's understand this concept. Responsibility, pressure, stress changes us. We're different. And that is a positive step. As we get older, we're meant to take on more responsibility on ourselves. And we're also meant to learn how to balance responsibility with easiness, responsibility with smiling, responsibility with carefreeness. There's got to be a balance. So let me now take the next, part, the next step to you. What can you do that when you'll be speaking to the mashgir, to the manal, to these people that you can be comfortable making a mistake you can be comfortable not needing to be perfect you can be comfortable that they might say okay Maishi made a mistake about this but he's still a great guy what would give you that inner ease if i would if i would know that if, see thing is, i'm afraid that i'm afraid that like they don't know me so well so like any any mistake i might make they're gonna think that like like you are you are like this type of guy and you are this this sorry. Good. So let's go ahead and take this to you. What so, will help you to feel confident that they will right. know who you are and they will even by one mistake it's okay and they will not judge you by that. I mean I know that I I know that they don't know who I am so well, so I can't have that. No, no, don't make those assumptions. If they're good at chinuch, you can size up a person in about three minutes. They hear what's going on. Don't do that assumption. Let's make another assumption. So one assumption is they don't know you that well, and that's why you're stressed. 
Can we come up with another assumption? Um, for the positive side? Of course. The negative you've got lined up already. Let's um, go for the positive side. That it wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, my assumption would be that it wouldn't, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't decide who I am just the one character, but just two of them once or twice and, and then make you a couple mistakes. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't define me as that type of person. Great. So I'd like you to close your eyes now for a minute and feel what it's like within yourself that you can speak to anyone, not just to the Manal, not just to the Mashgir, just to, to anyone, and know that people will not define you or judge you or assume who you are till they speak to you at least ten times. Tell me when you got that feeling. Just take a moment and just feel what it's like. And I like using the term marinate in that feeling. How safe does it feel that you can speak to a person till the tenth time they won't judge you? So you can make as many mistakes, say as much as you'd like, and that's when they got you. But it's hard to imagine that if you know logically it's not true. That's right. And that's why we're not talking to the logical part of the brain. Notice your fear is an emotion. It's not logic. There are many other options out there. Is it for a fact? Are you sure that they are judging you in one time in one conversation, or is that your imagination as well? Remember, we use our, our imagination for the negative. Why can't we use it for the positive? Are you 100% sure? Did the Manal, did the Mashgiach tell you, did the Rosh Shiva tell you, we judge you in a 30-second conversation, you make one mistake, boom, you're failed. No, I know. Huh? No, they didn't tell me that. So it's your imagination that's assuming that, correct? Mm-hmm. And you've come now logically to believe that. What would yeah. happen if we would change that underlying belief? Feel the feeling of what it's like that the world only judges you after 10 times speaking to you. That's a good feeling. Good. Now imagine speaking to your principal, to the Manal, to Rosh Hashiv, and how do you feel? Uh, probably easier. Seems like it should be easier. Excellent. So if you can do this on your own, just feel it. Let it marinate. Let it get in there, Meretz Hashem. You will feel how, how easy. should I feel it? What? How often should I try to, like, to, to um, try it when mind? we hang up now. When we hang up, just shut the radio in the background, shut whatever you're listening to from the background, however you're doing, and just let yourself feel what it's like that you can speak to different people knowing that you're not being judged till ten times speaking to you. Not even three, because even three is too quick. So yeah. should, I, should, I, should I imagine it like every day? Um, no, do it once or twice, and once you feel it, rate it from one to ten, and you want to get it to about an 8, 9, 10. You want to feel confident at 8, 9, 10. And once it's in there, it's in there. So how do we get to that level? Like, by thinking that, like, the whole... Just take a like, moment, yeah. Just visualize, yes. Simple. Twice a day, what? What? Did you do twice today? You can do it twice today. You got it. Do it twice today. But once you got it, it's locked in. Don't focus on it anymore. Don't stay with it. I shouldn't... What do you mean? Don't stay with the fear? Don't stay with the... With no, the, once you got the positive image, you're done. I shouldn't like try to, to, to do a positive image often? No. Reb appreciate the question. And we are going to go okay. to Joel. Can I, can I ask you one more question? Uh, one? You, you, let's try to do it. Let's try to, and for all everyone listening, we've got all lines full. It's meant for awareness. I apologize, so Moshe, no, you did it last time. It's like a one thing answer to one thing. It's not like a big thing. Just like, oh, yes Go or ahead. No, I will say thing. yes or no. That will be my response, and then thank you. Or I can't answer okay. that in one word. 
Okay, thank you. Okay, um, you you mentioned a few times that the way to get you to the way to look at the positive of, of like your life and to see everything you, in a positive way is to you once said that you should try to every day and at the end of the day you should list five positive things that happened to you that day. And I wanted to know. That include like positive things like I'm alive. Hashem uh, give me, Hashem give me health. Hashem give me this. Maish, it's a lot um, more complicated than that. That's all I will say. Okay. Thank you for calling in. All right, thank you very much. We are going to go now to the next caller. Thanks. We are going to go now to Joel on line two. You're on the air, Reb Joel. Uh huh. So my name is Yoel. Reb Yoel, good. Okay. Um, last week. You had a caller who asked you about um, pulling the bed. Yes. And can, do you remember what you answered them in the first minute or two? Of course I do. And you I can do. explain it because, uh -huh, because I wrote it down and I can quote it for you. Good. Go ahead. Write it down. Are you the person that sent me that text this week? No. So let me just tell everyone listening, for those listening in, I got a beautiful positive message. I, I wanted to write it down and print. But I see I didn't bring it. So we had a caller last week that the caller asked about that they have, that they keep on a nervous twitch. When they get nervous, they're like flicking out their beard. So they're pulling it out. And the recommendation was several points. There's an emotional component. And then there's a physical component that I suggested. The emotional component is identify what are emotional triggers that happens before that you get nervous. And the physical component is that many times our body our physical, the motor part of our brain is just used to doing that. So I gave a recommendation to, let's say, just touch your thumb every time you want to touch your beard, just to get like a different, almost like reprogramming the brain. I got a text and someone sent into the messaging, said, thank you very much, said for about 15 years now, or 20 years, this person unfortunately is Michal Shabbos because of this reason. They have this twitch where they got to, or compulsion where they have to pull their beard. And even though they try not to and they fight it, they found themselves many times subconsciously just pulling their beard and all of a sudden hair came out or they're pulling out their hair. They said since they listened to the program and they realized that it's an emotional issue but it's also physical, this was the first Shabbos that that person has not pulled out one hair and the beard is coming in in one week. So we're now Tuesday, the question was last week and Baruch Hashem, the, I got the message already on Sunday. So. I was greatly, I greatly appreciated the feedback for getting that and for the awareness for that caller that called in, we are able to help a lot of people with a simple question, not even being aware of that. So now, Rabbi Yoel, let's go to you, Yoel, and what would you like to tell us about the caller or a question or comment about that? Because you said that what the brain is telling you is you have living with this problem for so long and we are telling you to stop. So I must create a behavior stronger than your logic and control. And can we just put in a so word, because, just before the word because, many times our body can be telling us. We never always know the answer for the brain. Okay? Just, I just need that little waiver. For those listening and hearing me quoted, I think we just need uh -huh. to clarify it a little, more, a little bit more. Many times, yes. Uh-huh. So what does it mean that um, the, the brain creates uh, right, a behavior I'll explain stronger? It to you. I'll explain to you. Let's assume someone has a stress, someone has got a perfectionist program that I have to do everything perfect. So they're seven years old, they have a test, and they got to do that test perfect. Then they get 13 years old, now they got to learn. Three starim. Now they've got four different tests going on because there's a Shulchan Aruch, there's a Musr, and they have friends. 
Now they got to start juggling five main stuff. Plus in the house, there might be issues going on. They got to do everything perfect. So they want to help their mother. They want to learn first Seder. They want to learn second Seder. Oh, one good Bach is learning by lunch. So now they got to learn at lunchtime too. And there's no room to be a human. And when you speak to them, because I've got several such clients, which I just don't take when that happens unless they're willing to change. So they come to me now. I've got headaches. So the brain is saying it's too much. They're not stopping because I got to be perfect. And what happens, the brain says is, you got to stop. If you don't stop, I will start giving you headaches. I can give you back pains. I can give you pain in the knees. I can start causing you sleep loss. The brain will start start getting twitches where a hand or a shoulder is going to start twitching or an eye will start twitching. Start pulling out the beard from nerves. And what's happening is the person is not consciously, the person isn't recognizing to say, the lifestyle that I am doing, the way I am trying to work is not possible. And if we don't change, it will get worse. Now, the body screams. Our brain speaks. We just don't listen. So then the brain will create strong enough of a pressure that we will be forced to listen. And those are the people. Now, I want to give this same little waiver. If someone has headaches or back pains, before I help them start dealing with the physical, uh, with the subconscious messages or the lifestyle that has to be changed, I first send them to a medical doctor. If someone's got physical pains, you first got to be cleared by a medical doctor that it's not a medical purpose. There isn't something going on in the head for headaches. There isn't something going on in the stomach for those stomach aches. There's nothing going on with the back for back aches. But once we've identified that it is not physical, now we know we got to start changing. So sometimes these clients come to me, please take away my pains. This way I could continue doing what I'm doing. And I tell them, absolutely not. That is not my job to take away your pain. My job is over here to help you listen, to start recognizing what's going on. And then I start giving them basic awarenesses. Understand that Rabbi Shalom wanted us to be perfect. He would have created us at 35 years old or at 40 years old when everything is set. We were created from the beginning without knowing anything. If he wanted us to be perfect, we wouldn't have to sleep eight hours a night. He would have made us no, no need to sleep at all, maybe three minutes. There's a balance. Our brain's got to learn to turn on, turn off. Everything in life has its time. And many times people that have twitches are, or have these negative stresses, I would say most, again, not all, some have, come, some have had traumas to do that that they've neglected to take care of it. But most, I've found, are perfectionists and those that are trying to push themselves beyond what their body is saying, I can do. Does that make sense? Um, is that clear not, now? Not completely. Okay, which part not is not clear? Because, because I enjoy my learning, and most of the learning I do it. So it's not about pressure. Now, who said the whole issue is learning? Maybe you've got someone that is... Let's shift it around. Do you see how you're asking me to prove why you have an issue? That's not how it goes no, in therapy. No, I don't want to no, prove anything. I just want to say that some people, they do it when they learn. And so, so does it come out when the pressure is off a little bit? There can be many reasons. I don't know. And you're not... Okay, so let's stop over here. You're asking me now personally why. I can't do that personally. Why you're coming and telling me you don't have pressure by learning. That's good. Yeah. Do you have pressure about being good, that people should view you as a good learner? 
And by the way, this is uh, not what I do in therapy. When someone comes into my office like you, I say, I'm sorry, I'm just not the right shliach. I want for those that have an awareness. No, I don't hear, I'm not here to take clients to start creating your awareness because then I end up being, I feel like the bad one. I need you to start uh-huh. realizing why you have stress in your life. All I know is, I shift it back to you. If you are twitching, why are you doing it? Just stop. Mm-hmm. I need you to get an awareness that if you're doing it, you're the one with the issue. Now, you need to start creating an awareness. I admit that you don't have the awareness, but those are not the clients that I take. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, not in a so, threatening no, way. No, I don't mean to clear. say you're not good. I need to, I'm here to create awareness. People are listening. The awareness is that when you come, or at least when you come to a therapist, it's not, I have a problem, now you figure out why. It's, I have a problem, now help me figure out why. I'd like you to start off that way, and maybe the question will go different. Mm-hmm. Do you notice? Okay, I understood what you said. What, what, it, let me clarify, it, can you repeat the difference? Yes, the difference is whether you're speaking about the... Uh, you're talking about the the problem in general, or you're talking about me myself. Okay, what did I say? It, mm-hmm. That if it's about me myself, I need to to identify what what can be the trigger by myself or with me. But you need to come in saying I have a stressor, or I am doing something. It might be a trigger. Please help me figure it out. What I heard you come mm-hmm. in is say. I have a stressor, and it's not because of learning. Okay. So what do you want to be? Uh, I understand. You have the difference. A guy yeah, that yeah, comes and saying, I have a stressor. I don't know what it is. Help me find it. I can help a person find it. When a person coming in, I have a problem, and it's not about this. So what do you want of me? I'm not here to go tell you what it's from. I might have a very good mm-hmm. idea what it's from, but I still won't tell you, because therapy is not about me talking. Therapy is about you getting an awareness. You identify mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now it's very clear everything you said, and it's well explained. Thank Sorry. you, my friend. Fantastic. Rabbi Oil, I appreciate you calling in. And uh, okay. great. For those of you listening or calling in, as we've heard last time, we've had several people from out of the country. We've had two people from Yerushalayim and one from England. If you're calling in from overseas, from out of the country, please tell Aaron that you're calling in from overseas or from some interesting place, and I hate to say we'll cheat and we'll put you ahead of the time because ahead it just many times creates a nice awareness, but we're going to try to stick to an order as much as possible. Leah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai. Yes. Um, I'm calling from England. Oh, that's cute. Okay, Bashert. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Okay, perfect. So, um, thank you, first of all, thank you very much for your line. It's really been helpful on very many different levels and many different issues, and I have a question today. So, basically... Good, so um, let's try to keep I it to one question. We're even going to ask all our listeners, if we can just keep it to one question, this way we can go to as many callers as possible. A lot of people would like to get their questions in. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, my question is as follows. I am naturally, a, by nature, a very outgoing person, and I am very sociable. And then, at, at about a year and a half ago, I went through a certain change, and I developed sort of a social anxiety problem. And I went for therapy over the last year, and it wasn't helping, so we decided, my therapist and I decided that I would probably need something a bit more subconscious, and therefore I'll be changing therapists. And the problem obviously wasn't solved because I, I wasn't doing sub-subconscious work, so I couldn't just deal with it on the surface. 
So now I'm faced with, you know, I'm going to have to deal with it through therapy, and that is hopefully going to get to the root of the problem and help me deal with it. But I want to know what I can do currently until, until the problem is dealt with. What can I do for, about the social anxiety? So let, let me start this way. Do you feel comfortable sharing on air what was the trigger, what happened a year and a half ago? Um, yeah, I don't mind. Okay. What is it? So basically, I, was, I, I went to a new seminary where I didn't know many people, and we went on a Shabbaton, and um, we dis- me and my therapist and I discovered that was the trigger to me developing this anxiety. Now, from my experience, going one place with a seminary somewhere usually doesn't create an anxiety unless there are other stuff going on. That's from my experience. Um, it was really, it was really, it's not, it's a local seminary. It's not as if I went to a different country. It's a local seminary where we don't have a dorm. We just, you know, spend the day together. So and if I spend every day together, then it's not really such an issue because, you know, you come and you go and you do your stuff and then you're busy. But then when it comes to being together with different people, that was the problem. So your issue, so let me ask, so what you're saying is your issue is that you went away for Shabbos mm-hmm. and you were completely away from your family the first time you're sleeping away? Not the first time I'm sleeping away, but the first time I'm sleeping away with people that I don't necessarily know. Okay, the first time you're sleeping away with people that you don't necessarily know, and therefore, what are the social anxieties, what are the symptoms that you feel? Well, I, number one, I felt fear of loneliness, which is normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. And number two, it, it was a whole it was a whole new setup, the only social system for me. And let me hear what you call anxiety. So what are what's the anxiety? So far you sound normal. I also feel that way when I go to a new place the first time. I guess yeah, maybe I should diagnose it, myself it, social anxiety as well. After a while I should have just learned to live live with it and live with the different people. Wait, but how are you living with it? I, I'm still not hearing the problem. Where's what's holding you back? How is it holding what, you back? What? Everyone is supposed to feel that way. That's the way the Rebunshalim created us. That when we start something 100%, new... but it just, it just magnified into something much bigger. It ah, many so more, how is it magnetizing now? I'd like to know what are the symptoms now that are holding you back? Hold me back from what? I don't know. How, we've used a fancy word now. Social anxiety, generally, and I don't want to diagnose because everyone's going to say, Oive, this is me. So those that know me, I don't like diagnosing and giving diagnosis, but... Generally, social anxiety is someone that's always afraid to be in public, someone that's always afraid to meet new people. Or when they're meeting new people, they can't talk because they're freezing up. They're afraid they'll say that the wrong words. That's not my word. issue. I can meet new people and talk to them comfortably. It was just being in, an, in a new place with new people, but eventually I had, to get, I had to get used to it being a familiarity, and I couldn't get, I couldn't get that part. In one Shabbos, you couldn't get that part? No, in the last year and a half. Oh, so you went a year and a half but to a new seminary. after that Shabbos, I went, I had the adverse reaction for a week. I wasn't myself. Wait, and, so, uh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood I it. You were an entire year... One problem I couldn't get rid of. Hold on, let me, let me just understand it. I, I seem to have missed it. You were an entire year in seminary and you couldn't get used to it for a year? Mm-hmm, a year and a half, like two, almost two years now. Okay, saying. now I understand. Sorry, now I'm getting it. So you weren't able to get yourself acclimated to the place in a year and a half? Mm-hmm. Okay. What tools and what tips did the therapist do with you? Well, I was very close and was very reluctant. So there was so much, there was only so much you could do. She, and we got to the root of the problem we realized until we realized that, was, that the problem was that Shabbaton and that was the trigger. That already took, so, uh, that already took a long time. And, you know, How old were you at that, that Shabbaton? That hand, so I dealt with that not a long time. Something is not adding up to me. Why were you so closed? What you're saying is, it's because like almost me telling you, someone that started to learn to read, read very well, and all of a sudden they stopped being able to read. 
It's almost, I would ask you a bit more personal questions. Like, and don't answer this because we're on air, but uh, how is your family? Is your family, uh, do your parents have God Shalom bias? And the reason why I'm asking for those of you that want to know what one has to do with the other is it telling you about your, about your safety and your security. When parents don't have such a God Shalom bias, kids many times do not feel secure to experiment, to go, to go out of their safe zone. Do you have other family members that have certain anxieties and fears? Oy vey, I'm worried something will happen. Does anyone in your family suffer from fears? Parents especially. It's not making sense to me that an 18-year-old girl, till 18, everything is, is okay, goes for one Shabbaton away with friends that she knows, and from there... Well, as, everything wasn't okay till then, but I was ah, still young. What and I was not okay you know, till then? That, Thank you. Let's this, take a step back. Hold on, hold that, on, that Leah. Was, Let's go. Was what wasn't okay till... Leah, 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 we got, we got to have me over here uh, doing the stuff. What <laughs> wasn't okay till then? Well, I, I, number one, didn't grow up in, in a very normal, shall we say, a relative term, but I, very, I didn't really have a normal upbringing. Okay. But so at that point, my life was stable. Good. So let's clarify, and let me now change around your question, and let's give a little awareness, and this is especially awareness for everyone listening over here. I get many-time clients that come to me, until 40, everything was okay, until the age of 50, everything was okay, and then it fell apart. And I like clarifying the saying that they have, especially in English, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And when we deal mm -hmm. with therapy, most of the time, and that's the issue, that is that it has nothing to do with the current situation. I would not work on your subconscious, for an example, about being in a new place where you went away for seminary or for that Shabbaton. That might be the straw that broke the camel's back. What we're going to find is mm -hmm. that you might be missing the security to be able to experiment. You might have security to be able to try new experiences. You might be missing the security to actually make mistakes and to learn that it's safe. You might be missing the security to be able to make a fool of yourself. It's got to be comfortable in yourself and still feel good about yourself that you're okay. You might need to learn about actually hurting someone by mistake, but still hurting them and still forgiving yourself and learning how to ask forgiveness of them as well and feeling safe with that. These are all that's needed. Now, the older we get in life, the more responsibility we have. And instead of, I don't believe in that person that, oh, because I had a car accident, now I'm afraid of going into a car again. Because I'll find you thousands of people that could. Unless it was a real huge trauma, some life, you know, some life-threatening event. But most of the time when I find people afraid to go back into a car after a car accident, you'll hear about their past and you'll hear one or both parents are going, watch where you cross, it's so dangerous out there, it's too late at night, there are kidnappers outside. All these are what I find are the causes and the person doesn't have the inner safety and then it was just the straw, the trigger, the catalyst that caused this to happen. So what I would say with 100%, you is... 100%, but what do I do currently until I deal with so all that So currently stuff? what I'll tell you is don't go to subconscious therapist or you can do that as well. Go back to your therapist. Start talking about your past. Start talking about what would it take for you to By be... That was a problem. I also couldn't talk about my past. So I really couldn't get to, to the root of any problem. Well, then I got a secret to tell you. No therapist can help you. That's what we just had with Rabbi Ayel before. Therapy is not about the therapist. I, I mean, telling. I could technically if I make the decision, but it's too hard for me to do it in a conscious uh, form. Okay, so, well then, so we why? Do it in a subconscious form. Oh, uh, but I don't know what you think subconscious means, by the way. You think subconscious where they knock you out and you talk? That's not subconscious. Subconscious <laughs> means they have what? Hypnosis. No, stop the word hypnosis. I know hypnosis. Whenever anyone calls my office for hypnosis, I say absolutely not. 
Do you know why? Because what you want doesn't exist. The movies, the world has made hypnosis this therapy that you just hypnotize a person, they feel nothing. Absolutely not. All hypnosis is, is it gets you aware of the issue and now you got to work on it. Okay, so I'm, re- I'm ready to do it that. Doesn't sound, do, if you're ready to do, do that, then go over to a regular therapist, make a list of 15 of your painful experiences in your childhood and start talking about that. All subconscious... So that's what I couldn't do, so... It was too hard for me to, to I, talk so here's it. where So here's where we're going to end our conversation now. When you're saying it's too difficult, here's where you're going to start exploring that with your therapist. It might even take three sessions to do that. What are you afraid of? Why is it so difficult? What can give you the safety? Maybe afraid you'll go too deep. Maybe afraid someone did something that it needs to be reported, that someone locked you in a closet or something, and it's not safe. Who knows what? not saying locking in the closet. I'm just saying <laughs> who knows what your fears are going on. But that is therapy. And that is why, unfortunately, many people go to therapists for many months. Because till you can get them to feel safe enough to open up, takes a long time. It's not depending on the therapist. It's depending on the client. So people have this assumption. I'm going to say this clearly on here. They come to me, and because they hear me over here on the radio, on jradio.com, it's so clear. I get to the answers right away. Absolutely not in real life. That's not therapy. This is awareness program. In therapy, i got to go where the client's at. And I'm limited to the client. And I've got clients coming to me for a year, and few, but some even up to two years. Because that's what they need, not what I need. There is, there is no magic. You're still young, Leah. You're assuming hypnosis. I am guaranteeing you hypnosis does not work the way you think. At all. It's like assuming you're going to get a bracha from a rav, and now everything, you'll just win the lottery. A bracha of a tzaddik helps. The Rabbani Shalim is listening, but it still doesn't help you with winning the lottery. The Rabbani Shalim is now going to want you to do your hishtadlis. So it's part of my hishtadlis to go to hypnotherapy. Say that again? It's part of my hishtadlis to go to hypnotherapy. It's because part... I've been going to therapy for already a year and it's not helping me. So then maybe it's time to change else. therapists. I always recommend if you're not successful with one, go so for a second. So that's why. What's the difference if I go to hypnotherapy or go to regular therapist? Let's do the same thing. Hey, the issue day. isn't we're going to hang up with that is your awareness. You are not getting an awareness in your issue. The issue is that you've got to learn that you've got to work through your problems. You're looking for the okay, easy so solution. I can do that through hypnosis as well. What? I then why say hypnosis? If hypnosis. you're willing to work through your issue, why go for hypnosis? Explain to me. What's the need for hypnosis? What do you think will happen in hypnosis? I'll be able to talk. Oh, you think hypnosis will just get you to talk? Do you know the yeah, because 10 really pers- I do want to, but really what? I can't. Really, I do want to talk about it because I know that if do I do you realize that, that if you're so hesitant and so afraid, you'll probably not be able to be hypnotized? About 10% of the people could be hypnotized that deep? There are so mm-hmm. many misconceptions about hypnosis that it's scary. It's so not real. Mm-hmm. might be able to relax you a little, and but regular therapists will know those tools. Your concept, your perception, and the reason why we're discussing it is because that's not reality. If you would now tell me you're willing to go try two, three types of therapy, each of them you're going to be working hard and needing to change yourself, then I would say go ahead, try also hypnotherapy, give it a shot. If it doesn't work, just don't be disappointed. Not that hypnotherapy doesn't work, your perception, the perception of the world of hypnotherapy is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Excellent. I'll take that. Thank you for your awareness and Hatzlacha. Thank you. Yes. We are going to line five to Nechama. Nechama, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yes, hi. Thank you very much for everything. You're welcome. 
Um, I have a son who is on a ventilator, um, and he has nursing most of the day. He's very weak, you know, needs a lot of therapy. Um, but uh, my question is, there are things that happen with him or with his nurses every other day that really leave me emotionally or physically drained. Um, and it takes me very long to recover and to proceed to regular, normal, daily routine, um, you know, housework routine. My question is, what can I do to swing back to, you know, into motion and get get myself back onto my two feet after such an episode or whatever, because it, it, it just doesn't let my day continue normally. Wow. So let me ask the question, because I'm hearing a two-part question here. Number one is your son is currently in a situation that is very emotionally draining and in a medical situation in which you're constantly having to deal with doctors, nurses, and things along those lines, correct? Yeah, yeah. Doctors are not such a big trigger because I, you know, I don't think that, I don't give them that much respect that they should get, put it that way. And the nurses you do? Um... I wouldn't say I give them respect, but they could get me on my nerves. Okay, what do the nurses do that can get on your nerves? Um, the way they deal with my son or the way they, you know, their personalities, just regular, I would say, relationship issues probably. But um, so basically but the doctors more are than coming that in. is the so other part that my son... Some situation leaves me physically and emotionally draining. I mean, the nurses is a separate issue. Well, you're right. It's two separate issues. Right. Um, Good. So I, let's identify both. So you've got one actual here and now issue of a son that's not on a ventilator, needs a lot of therapists, and you're dealing, or nurses, and you're dealing, just dealing with them, just getting them to do something, and that is one very draining situation. One mm-hmm. step. Second part is you are so exhausted or already overexhausted, completely not an ounce of energy left in you to keep on going in general from the trauma and just to live a life, just to have something, to spend time with the other kids, to be able to think and not see your kids, let's say, image in front of your head or thinking, I got to run to the hospital or whatever, go deal with the, the medical conditions every minute, correct? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the part that I'm physically exhausted is, is correct. Um, I would I would say that um, it's more dealing with, I mean, it's not running all over the place. It's more with, you know, if he's unable to breathe or I need, you know, suctioning and whatever. I don't yes. know how much you're aware of. of I am of, unfortunately uh, aware a little bit of the suctioning and some of the ventilating stuff. And the painful okay. part is to see so the way you suction and the heart. That like way the way. And, um, dealing with it and just, you know, and then I have a baby who could, you know, bother me. It's just, you know, physically and emotionally, it drains me. Each of these episodes, which happen every other day, of course, just leaves me very emotionally and physically draining. And I, I, I can, I can take me two hours until I can continue something in my housework. Yes. So let me, let's start understanding. I'm going to give a theory, but it's going to be much easier for me to have said than done. Okay, mm-hmm. so forgive me for giving advice over here where you'll just say it might be easier said than done. And okay. let's understand a certain yesoid, how the human body works. In order to offer us to help someone else, I actually once heard this, Marshall, I'll give you the example from a Rav. And said as follows, you know sometimes when Rebbe's, when they give Shrayim from the Becher, that they mm-hmm. pour into everyone's, you know, they give everyone from their Kiddush. said if someone is giving from their Becher, and what happens once you've given seven people? 
your becher is empty. Right? Right. What happens if you can have this unlimited source, this huge thousand-gallon um, bottle pouring into your becher, and from that overflow, it's getting into everywhere else? What happens to your becher? What happens to your cup? It constantly remains full. Is that yes. Me? And what happens to those that are getting from you? Um, eventually, I guess they will also overflow. That's right. And they can pass it on. One of the most important lessons that I heard from this mushal is that when we help others, we must always make sure that our becher, that we in ourselves are full, and we need to find ways that we can keep ourselves full. Otherwise, everyone gonna, that is relying on us will then turn empty. And then we will be empty, and they will be empty, and no one benefits. Now, I know it's easier said than done, because you're going to tell me about the ventilators that you need to be around. Nurses don't show up. People aren't ventilating. They haven't turned him from side to side if that needs to be done or whatever else is happening. The medication didn't come on time. They decided to overlap. One nurse is fighting with the other nurse. I mean, all these things are common stuff that you need to literally have a whole team just managing, and you might be the only person doing it. Correct. So um, I know it's easier said than done, but all I will tell you is that recognize that the minute your cup is empty... No one benefits, not your husband, not your son, not your other children, not your baby, and no one can grow. In fact, I've got an entire program how stress affects our brain on a medical level. Our physical brain actually shrinks under stress if you got it a year time. The positive is after you're out of it, our brain goes back to itself. And I forgot which study, but I bring down over there where the study is from. Under mm -hmm. stress, we make the, bigger, the biggest mistake assuming that if we push it through, it will help. And what I find in that program, what I bring out, what we discuss is just taking a 10-minute break or a one-day break is actually what gives you clarity. So it's funny that under stress, we do the worst thing possible to push. And if we can let go, so instead of pushing an extra day and you'll be more stressed for two weeks, you might take one day off and then have the energy for five. Mm -hmm. So it's easier said than done because you're in a medical condition. I do not know your financial situation. I do not know if you have anyone that you can rely on for help or someone to take over, someone to train in, so you can have a day, a night, a time for yourself? The only one is my husband. So what? The two of us. Excellent, but maybe you guys need to get someone else to help you. So this way, the two of you can go away for one night or two nights. I unfortunately have a, a not unfortunately, I have a very good friend, but unfortunately has a very disabled daughter, which mm -hmm. needs a lot, a lot of work, and similar to that situation. And when they get once a year or twice a year, there's one or two organizations, I forgot what it's called, where they take the kid just away for Shabbos and mm -hmm. the guilt that the family deals with. How are we enjoying ourselves or relaxing without our daughter? That has to be dealt with. But the family needs it. It's just, ah, that one Shabbos of not taking medication every four or five hours, not making sure everything is done. We don't even realize or how it affects our brain until we're in it or until we get a little break. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you to do it. I actually had that, that feeling because when I, he's my first and this is, and I just had my second, um, and then I did need to go away. It was like my body was reacting in such crazy ways because I finally had a break. Um, but yes. that was, you know, that was a good 10, 11 months ago. But I definitely know what you mean, but I, I, my question is more on a daily basis when I need to deal with something. And you think if I take that break, it's going to help me on a daily basis so when I need to. That's right. And the goal... The housework after an episode that leaves me drained? Well, here's, 
here I'm going to make several recommendations. Okay. Recommendation number one is schedule it in. If it's not scheduled in, it won't happen. Schedule in that once every two months will you go away for just one night. You and your husband or just you yourself. You must have the break. It's a must. The mm -hmm. amount of stress, the amount of balancing your brain is doing doesn't is not possible for a human brain to function that way. Step one. Mm -hmm. Step two is find a support group for parents where their children have a physical illness that needs issues like yours. There's a support system. There are teams. You will not feel alone. It is so important. I'm telling you, just you'll be going to a group six times and you're going to feel like your life is changing just from that. Hearing it, not feeling alone, certain doubts that you're going through, just the information that they share. Group work is extremely powerful. It could be once a week. It might even be over the phone sometimes, and it doesn't even have to be Yiddish. It doesn't even have to be Jewish. Find it. They've got sometimes support groups even on the phone. If you can't go away, just have it. Hear and listen. It changes you. I always recommend to from, but you know, but just be aware that for your level, you and your husband just go somewhere. If you feel it's not Yiddish at all, or work with a rav just to make sure it's okay. Everyone's got to do it within their framework. Mm -hmm. I do. I did consider that, and I I feel like he, my son, is so unique. Everyone says it that sometimes I I'm, I'm like afraid that I'm not going to feel understood. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because when he was born, I had somebody talking to me. I don't know if I should say this over here. But in any case, it was something about um, uh, that was not similar at all, and it left me feeling very, very uh, down. I, I just, like, don't compare him to him. He has hope. He didn't have hope. And, you know, it was... That's right. I, I'm, afraid of, I'm afraid of going into that again. That's like, right. Like, other people's things that are not similar to mine. Like, don't, you know, so don't disappoint clarify. me. Nahama, let's clarify that what that person did is unfortunately not professional and it's not a group led from experience, so, which means one of the greatest mistakes that people think by giving chizuk is talking, it's first listening. Talking is step two or step three. Step mm -hmm. one is first you talking, and that's one of the mistakes that amateurs make. Not that I'm attacking them, but they don't. That's not therapy. When you go to a therapist, they should not be giving advice. This is that we're doing over here on air is about awareness, mm -hmm. but it's not therapy. Therapy is when I have the person talk, when I have the person say, what will help you? What are your fears? What are your concerns? I gave you advice what you should do, but I never asked you, does that make sense for you? Uh -huh, I see what you're saying. Now, if I would be doing that to you, I would be asking you, what's the biggest drain? For example, what are the biggest things that's a stress for you? It might be the nurses that you would say, that we need someone just to manage the nurses, then you'll feel so much better. We, again, on ear that I'm creating over here is just awareness. It's mm -hmm. not really therapy. The therapies I do one-on-one, -on -one, and I would even tell the listeners, some of the listeners that come to me, that they hear me, they're almost shocked. But on a radio, you're like so powerful, you're giving advice, you haven't said anything. And I go, oh, I've said a lot. Look how much you've said. Look how much awareness you've accomplished. Thank and I go, what advice do you have for yourself? And they go, but it won't work. Good. Let's be aware. What advice do you have? Why won't it work? Now, what can we? Do? What can you do for it to work? Mm -hmm. So, real therapy is about empowering the person for them to recognize what's happening. So, the person that you went through, don't think that that is called group work. You will not have fifteen people giving you advice at all. Mm -hmm. Usually, group workers, each one just shares their experience, what they went through. They might share similar experiences what they had with you, and then they will also validate why your experience is different than theirs. And they finish off, this is what worked for me. I don't know if it's right for you. If anyone yeah. tells you, this is what worked for me and you should do it, 
that means the group leader was not doing their job well because it's not allowed to go that way. And that mm -hmm. also means that that person doesn't have experience in therapy. Right. No, that was just a private person just telling me about her son, whatever. You know what? Nothing yes. that but it was, but it was, um, but it was just so different that I guess maybe because it was a personal phone call and it wasn't in a group setting that I, yes. you in know, I felt like, setting, don't you're going give me to your see, different stories that that's don't right. in a group setting, and, everyone will be different, but you'll right. still find that 30 to 60% similarity. And mm -hmm. that from that 60% that's similar, you'll get a point, oh, I could do this for my case a little bit differently. Yeah. The point yeah. is not to feel, and then you hear other families, and then you see someone cry, and then you go, you know something, I was never allowed myself to cry. And then you hear a husband speak sometimes, and the husband says his feelings, and you go, you know something, I wonder if my husband is feeling that. And your husband might say, yes, I just couldn't say it because I didn't want you to feel that way. It mm -hmm. creates huge awareness. Imagine you have 10 or 12 people similar to you, and also you start being aware of emotions, solutions, feelings that haven't been brought up. And that's what happens. And then it makes topics, discussions. And after a while, you start reaching out. It just changes. Group work is a great dynamic support. I'm a big believer in group work as well. Not group work is therapy. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Group work is a different type of therapy. Right, right. the Rabbi Shalem should send your son a refuah shalema. Keep strong. I just want you to know you're not alone. There are a lot of people that have children with major medical issues, and their life gets turned over. And I can't begin to give any bit of advice because that's something that I wouldn't even know where to start. But as a therapist, <laughs> I, I just, would tell you... I wanted to know, you know, uh, I, I know that it's in the big... We're talking about a big issue in the big, but I just wanted a advice on a little thing because it just affects my daily routine. And I... Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like it's it's normal that somebody should not be able to do regular, you know, housewife. Yes, it is. Yes, um, it is. So let me give you the awareness with what well, you're I mean, dealing with. I mean, we're talking about he's home Baruch Hashem for two years. I, I I can't continue this way. I feel like my well, brain. Well, let's stop a second. Let's stop yeah. a second. You are a human being, and here is where I'm going to give that advice. There's only so much a human being can do in 24 hours. There's only so sure, much but that you. What takes precedence over the next. That's the question. Here is where you sit down with your husband. Here's where you sometimes get a rub. Here's sometimes where you sit down with a therapist. What are the priorities in our life? What do we do? Is mm -hmm. the entire world supposed to be put on hold? And many times the answer is yes. Many mm -hmm. times the answer is no and we need extra help. Many times we need to open up for more support systems to help us out so we can function. But in order for this step to happen, you need to come to that realization or to that time we say, I can't anymore, or this cannot continue anymore. We need now more help. That is the first step when therapy starts. When a person says, I'm managing everything, that's not when therapy starts. Right, right. So no, you're now at the I step where... You are so human. That's why I reached out to you. Yeah, excellent. So that's wonderful. So from the first step, so my recommendation would be Find a therapist that, let's say, has experience with children or with, with, with deals with families where High Lifeline would probably be a good place to start. I know High Lifeline has Camp Simcha where they have, I think, a full third or almost 40% of the kids that go to Camp Simcha aren't coming because of Yenamachla or because of cancer. They're coming because they have other medical conditions and they have therapists that have experience with that that can help you out that might not mm -hmm. have the exact situation but have some advice. 
Um, and where would I? Where would be a good place for me to find out about a support group? Also, like a place like High Lifeline. I would definitely start with High Lifeline. Or I don't like saying it for those of you that have internet with an issue or things like that. Start finding out, or even ask your medical doctor. You know, mm. who's is there a support group? The hospitals might know. There might be an organization. That's that, and you'll ask your rav if you can join Goyesha ones. You might want to start just asking Bikrochelim, some of them. Do you know of any support groups for that? Because many times that's the place to start. If there are any therapists, do you know other family members that have that? You might even want to start your own support group. And maybe mm-hmm. we can get someone to volunteer the first couple of sessions that runs a support group just to help you guys structure it. Mm-hmm. So all great organizations started with one person, unfortunately, that had a need in that area. Mm-hmm. So you might even be the Nachshon Ben Aminodov just to jump in there. Mm-hmm. You might be the <laughs> Another thing to add on the list. And I might even have someone that would want to, there's actually someone here in the studio that would like, that has a lot of experience with support groups, someone that works with me, and he's even willing to help you to start launching it, the first support group or two to run it, or maybe even more. So mm-hmm. if you're interested, um, I'll let you then call, just leave him at, if you're interested, you know, I'll give you my office number, we'll do it, and just um, call up if you get it going, and we can do that for family members that have a physical illness, and he'll volunteer his time to do it. And mm-hmm. the office to my number is 718-633-1755. So all you need to get is three or four, three or four families together. Mm-hmm. Not even more than that. Four is too much already. So probably just say three to four. Mm-hmm. And that with someone knowing how to run a group. And we'll do that. We'll help you out, Marit Hashem. Wow. Okay, I really appreciate your time. Excellent, thank you. And Rabbi Shalom should give you koyach and siyata deshmaya. Just remember, you are human. You're limited to 24 hours. You're limited to eating, sleeping. You have limitations. Merit Hashem, when you will be a malach, you'll be able to do so much more. But as long as you're down on this world, you've got limitations and we've got to deal with with your... Um, if you can also, I'm going to put you on hold because over here, the technician, they would like we'd like to get your number. This way we can get to you. Some other people are trying to reach out and might even be able to help you. So thank you, Nechama. We're going to Rifki. Thank you all for holding so long, by the way. Rifki, Chaim, and Toby, thank you really for holding. We're going to get to you. Let's see if we can try to take the questions to five minutes or less. This way we can get that. Um, uh, actually, I'm just looking at the messages that we have, and someone sent us a message saying, maybe I should recommend you to speak to High Lifeline, an organization that helps families like this. So I'm glad I was Mechavan to you. Thank you for that. Rifki, on line six, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes, you're on the air. Oh, hello, I'm calling from London. Oh, wow. Thank you, thank you so much for your show and your, and your hotline. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Really, um, really informative. I think I want to ask a question about my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Just, I'm sorry you're holding, so let me just give this little request, this little waiver. We really don't take questions under the kids, parenting questions under the age of eight, because chances are my question, my answer will be, your kid is normal, you just need some tools how to deal with it, and tools means consistent getting training in about four to six weeks on how to do it. So let me hear your question because you called in, but if that will be my answer, it's not because I don't want to answer that, it's just tools-oriented system that you need step one to deal with step two to deal with step three, and now you can deal with step four, okay? Yeah. No, so she, let's hear your question. She, she likes to do things that I don't let her, and she just doesn't li- listen to me. Let's say um, writing on the wall and unpacking cupboards and drawers, and when she goes to sleep, she wakes up, wakes up my baby, 
and she knows I don't let her. So, and when I speak to her, she doesn't listen to me. She just, and when I promise so her, let me tell you. Mrs. Rifke, your daughter is a healthy, successful child, Baruch Hashem, doing every single thing that is age-appropriate, and all that's needed is just to get the tools, how to deal with her, how for you to be assertive, how to you learn how to teach her not to do that. It takes time. It's very possible, very workable. With Siata Deshmaya, I will be having, hopefully after the summer, we'll have my programs. I'll have it again where people can purchase them and get them, but for right now, just know, sign up to any parenting class. These are the olive base basic information how to deal with it. And now let me tell you, there's a way to do it without screaming, without shouting, without getting nervous. You're going to be able to have your kid not to hit the baby after, to be able to go to sleep on time, to take the fight out of it. You'll be calm when she cries or when she throws her age-appropriate tantrums. There's a simple mahalach. Thank you for calling in, and I am just sorry that... Um, yeah, I'm so, uh, one thing. Yes. Maybe it's part of the question, but I can see it's probably underneath something because he's also bullying my baby the whole time. See? No, don't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself. Normal, age-appropriate for a two-year-old, and all you need is the tools how to deal with it. Okay. okay? Healthy. That's what happens. Healthy, and you're going to learn how to deal with it. Thank you very much. You're thank very you welcome, and thank you for holding so long, and thanks for calling all the way from the U.K. We are going to go now to line one to Reb Chaim. For those of you listening, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker. We would like to thank jratradio.com for hosting us, Harav Nissen, for really doing this amazing program that we have, for having this whole program, this whole station that we've got, and Aaron for taking care of it. And we'd like to thank FNW for hosting us so you're able to listen to this live all over Lakewood and wherever they've got affiliated We've got it, Yeshiva World, Lakewood Scoop. Thank you all for hosting this and for creating this fantastic awareness. The number for those of you that would like to call into the studio for your question is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. Reb Chaim, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello, Mordechai. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Okay. Um, something just specific. A healthy person, everything is great. They have a specific fear about dogs because when they were once in a park, a dog came over and sniffed them and they ran for their lives and it was very traumatic for them. And this is about a year later and um, and the child doesn't even want to go to the park. You know, there's an association there and has a tremendous fear for dogs. How What's old is the, the kid? To over Almost five. Almost five. I'll try. I'll make a recommendation just for you to try some of the little play therapy tools that are out there, and we'll see if that works. And if not, then I'll tell you maybe go to a therapist. But let's first try the basics. I'll give you two, okay. three suggestions. Number one is, kids. The way play therapy works is it's easy for them to express themselves through toys. So you might want to get a toy that looks like a dog or a mean dog. And then tell the kid, okay, this is the dog. You remember the dog over there in the park? And goes, yes. Then you'll now ask, is it a boy or a girl? A girl. A girl. So then you'll ask her, what toy, and you might go through different toys, let's say in the play, in the, in the play what's it called, the toy box, or mm -hmm. some other toys around. Which toy, if you would have that, you're going to feel very safe and secure. It might be Tati. It might be a picture, or it might be a figurine of a soldier. Because mm -hmm. normally if, the, if your daughter was eight, I would have had you speak to her and have her suggest and get more her feelings from her. But for kids, which it might be a little bit harder to explain, you'd want to use figures 
to explain what they're feeling. Then, once you have the figure that they would feel safe, now ask them to put the figure next to the dog. And they might do the person stabbing the dog, or the dog's now running away because they're afraid. And then you tell her, here, why don't you hold this figure with you, and how do you feel? Do you feel safe now? And then, can we even go to the park? You'll now take her to the park with holding that figurine. And then you might find how safe and secure she feels. For children, this can be enough. This little awareness is enough to make the shift. Right. So let me just ask you. So I don't know if we're up to that stage yet, but the tremendous fear that it was, so when we, we have been to the park and to that park, and we even have someone in the neighborhood that has a dog that has like a cute little dog that's totally harmless, and when we're in the house, so when she is around the parent, you know, she doesn't like she be held, so it is much better. She has that safety, and she'll stay there for an hour. She'll stay there, you know, just when the dog comes very close, then it reawakens that fear. So it, it is much better, but it's not conquered. Is there any way to So let's do the next level. Like sure. a regular kid? Now you continue that with her. What? Now you take another figurine. What would help you feel safe, even able to touch the dog? And what you might do, which is part of exposure therapy, is you got her close to the dog. Now the next step might be for you to actually touch the dog when she watches and the dog is gently, and you're cuddling it, and you want to get closer. And it's part of exposure therapy is you do it consistently. So you want to go, let's say, every mm-hmm. day for a couple of minutes, if you're willing, if that neighbor is nice, and let's say you will touch the dog mm-hmm. and have her get closer and more comfortable with it. And once that happens, then you try going to the park slowly, and you stay around the park there for five minutes as close as she feels safe. Then can we take another step? And again, we're adding in now the component of the play therapy that I'm suggesting. Find figurines that she'll feel safe with and let her keep it on her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're just like drilling it in with time over and over. So over like and time over is getting, with that's right, that's normal. And that should just grow out of it. Merit Hashem, I would even tell you, try this week, call back next week. Let's hear the steps. I might guide you the next step. You're getting over your free advice. The reason I called now is because we were just just in the park the other day, and, you know, and she was much better until the dog got close, and then it was like... Go ahead. So go ahead. Figure out what... Ask her what figuring would help her. If there's a dog in the park, maybe ask the owner or the person the dog, can I touch the dog? Can I let her keep close and see how calm you are? And let her just stay around. So tell her, don't leave. Take 10 steps back, but look how calm it is. Look how safe it is. And see if you can stay there a minute or two. And the owner might say, he's so gentle... And just I understand more. I'm going to let you go to the next caller. I hear you loud and clear. I got it. Call wow. back next go week. Ahead. Call back next week. I'd like the update, especially the feedback for those that are listening to see if it works, because this is a tremendous okay. awareness. We've got thousands of people listening now, and I can tell you thousands of people on my phone line, and it's beautiful to see the people, those that like to download the show also on j Radio. It's like really downloaded on a huge number, a huge level. So people Terrific. are listening to it, downloading. So your feedback, when you share positive feedback, it reinforces the others. Okay. Thank you, Rukhaim Hatzlacha, and know that it's Thank still... Thank you. Yes, my pleasure. We are going to Toby online, too. Toby, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai. Um, first, I want to thank you. I'm Toby from last week. I want to thank you, first, for cheering for the work I did, because I really worked hard, and it meant a lot to me. Second, I did your advice, and I'm already in a, pro- in a process of getting a therapy and helping myself. And I also found uh, accidentally a tea. It's called Tension Timer from Celestia that happened to help. So if anyone wants to try it. Okay, can you share what your question was with everyone and then what the suggestion and yeah, what's working? Sure. Go ahead. Um, Let's create the awareness. Let's help sure. people. My, my question was that I'm going through a separation. Hopefully not divorce, but just separation. But it's a tremendous amount of stress on me. And I have pain in my face 
from the stress I'm going through. And you suge- suggested that even though I do not, I cannot afford therapy, um, insurance might be able to help me. And I did go to the Jewish board and got myself helped. Beautiful, beautiful. So you went to Jewish board, you're in the process. Fantastic. That's right. So let's just have everyone listen. If you feel you cannot afford a private therapist, don't stop going for help. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go. Sometimes they go, only the best therapists, they don't take insurance. Not true. Certain great therapists take insurance, and there are great therapists in the organizations. Jewish board, you've got OHEL, you've got so many organizations. I think I see the Yitzhak label hotline is advertised a lot. There are a lot of options out there. And then sometimes the idea is, but I'm not getting the best, or I might get a student. They're still supervised by two people. Everyone's got to start somewhere and just having where to turn to. And if you need someone more experienced, they'll be able to help you and get that. But start the process. Once we start the process, it just changes within us. And the Rabbi Shalom always sends a siyata deshmaya for those that start the process. So Jewish Board is a fantastic place, yes. Yes. Um, okay, now to my question. Um, I've had a very hard life in the past being married, actually. And I got a lot of nurturing outside. And I, Baruch Hashem, was able to get out of it and take care of myself. I've been through a lot, but I miss that nurturing. And I wonder if there's any way I can nurture myself in some way so I don't have such a gap in me. Sure. I'm going to make a recommendation. And for those that are Hasidish men, we'll come up with some idea for you. But let me share with you some of the main steps in in the first step in self-love and self-caring. Number one, and you'll understand soon what I meant for Chassid Shemen when we get to that, to that part. Number one is to be able to say, I love myself. Another one, I accept myself. I accept myself with all my limitations. I love myself with all my limitations. Saying that, probably 80 times a day, I love myself. I'm successful. I'm happy. I forgive myself. It might sound like it's crazy, but if I would ask you how many times does our minds knock ourselves, tell us, oh, we've made a mistake, oh, we're not good, oh, we'll never be successful, I would say at least a thousand times a day. And it even works on Shabbos and Yom Tovim. It doesn't take no legal holiday breaks. If we can start thinking and have things all over your room, a little, it sounds corny, and some people go, it sounds so therapy-ish, like a little sign, I love myself, smile. That is step one. To do that, it works. Here comes step two. What I said, the chesidish men might have an issue is because in the chesidish world, there's a concept not to look in the mirror, for men not to look in the mirror. But if for therapy, I've had many chesidish rabbanim say it's not a problem, but I'm still a believer in asking each one for their advice. Or if you can, if you're not belonging to certain, let's say, visionists, doesn't let you have or shouldn't have pictures of yourself, but if you, you can look at a picture of yourself and look at that person and say, I love you. Well, standing in front of a mirror and saying, I love myself, is so painful the first time you do it. It is so hard. The first thing you're going to say is, no, I don't. My nose is too big. My eyes are a little funny. My, I'm, I got to lose weight. The negative self-talk that happens when we look at ourselves in the mirror is very scary. And that is really what's going on within ourselves. And as we say it several times, as we train ourselves to get used to saying, I love myself, I approve of myself. I love and approve of myself just the way I am. I'm acceptable. I'm fantastic, Baruch Hashem. The Rabbi Nishleon believes in me. 
Yes, I have success. Yes, I have talent. Yes, today will be a great day. Saying all these sentences is one of the first steps in self-care and nurturing. Step two, which is the next step, once you can say that, now look at yourself in the mirror and do that. It's the next step harder. But when you can look at your, your mirror and say, I accept myself. Yes, I accept my crooked eye. And then you can say, I love my eyes. Even okay. though you don't yet, by doing it consistently over and over, it will start affecting you. That is a major yesoid in self-love. Next point is take a vacation. Go somewhere. Um, whatever it is that you like. If you like a massage, if you like a manicure, if whatever it is that you feel is your little self-care, you want to walk around the park. No cell phones. No one can get through to you. Okay. You like calm music. Take care of yourself is how you start taking care of yourself. And then when you do all this, you do not need it from a spouse or a partner or somebody no, else? No, we always need it from someone. I always use the famous Alta Vart from the Mir, from Inderheim, as they call it, from the Mir Yeshiva, the Alta of Kelm. It's like an Alta Musavart in the Yeshiva um, circles. And it goes, you need to have in one pocket, but Anoichi off of Eifer, I am nothing. And you got to have in the other pocket, Bishvili Nivra Ha'ilam. And that the whole world was created for me. Balance. Which means we need to interact with people. We need validation from people. It's part of being a human being. The Rabbi has created this world with nurture and with accepting. Which means give and take. At the same time, that's one pocket. We need to be able to not give and take from anyone else. We need to be able to have within ourselves. This balance that we need to master is where many people get stuck. They're stuck in either always giving and taking, or they're only by themselves, and the secret is balance. So what we're working over here is the balance for you to be able to give it to yourself and not need it from others, but at the same time to be able to give and to receive from others. That sounds confusing, but does it make sense? It makes sense, but how can you get it if you don't have it? That's right. So that's why you're first giving it to yourself. For the next week, if you can follow us, follow up with the next call, how did it feel when you've said literally 80 times today, I love myself, I approve myself, I'm excellent, I'm good, just the way I am. I'm fantastic. Just say that. Call up next week and you will see that step. Then I've got the next step which we will help you out with. And if you're even brave enough to do it after you've done it three, four days and you're starting to feel comfortable and your brain isn't knocking you down saying, no, you're really stupid. You know it's not working. You're not really smart. You really don't care for yourself. You really don't like yourself. Once that starts calming down, you go, I love myself. Yeah, you know something? I am good. I'm pretty no, talented. I forgot to give myself a pass. I should be doing it fine. I can see myself doing it. And then what? Good. Then do that and do it in front of a mirror. Okay. And you know what? Try it now. Say it on air and tell me what are the thoughts. Say it. I love myself. I really love myself. I think I'm an amazing person who went through so much and took care of herself and takes care of her children and goes through a difficult time with so much bravery. I really, really love myself. I think I'm excellent. Good. Stop there. What are the thoughts that are popping in your mind as you're saying that? Is it yes, it's true, or nay, you're just faking it? No, I, I really believe in myself. Good. So then the next step is for you to... Go to the mirror and do that. And then I'll give you now, right the next step. The next step is just write 10 strengths that you have. So let's say you said you're able to separate. So you can write down you're able to make changes when needed, no matter how painful they are. I wouldn't put in the word painful, but you're able to do changes. You're someone that is self-aware. You're aware of what needs to happen. You're someone that is responsible. You're taking care of your kids. You're someone that is taking care of yourself. That is in itself a positive. 
have 10 traits and I'll say those about five to 10 times a day, also in front of a mirror if you can. Very powerful when you look at yourself and you're saying it with confidence. Okay. That is a major step for self-care. And if you can just do once from now by next week, just a one hour walk or somewhere away, if it's quiet time, it cannot I be- I do, a- I go every day. Okay, without a cell phone? But I'm actually with J-Root Radio. <laughs> What? With J-Root Radio? Radio. I appreciate J-Root Radio, and I don't want them to lose any listeners because of this, but for this one hour, no radio. I want you to start having time with yourself. I want you to be with your brain. No radio and no cell. Okay. (coughs) Okay, you want... It could even be a half hour. Not going to stores with no shopping list on, on your task list while you're doing it. Just nothing. Just start feeling yourself. Okay. And share with us next week. Please call up with the feedback. Thank you, Toby. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. We are now going to Sarah on line three. Sarah, you're on the air with Mordechai. And the next we've got Mati and Aaron. So both of you guys, hold on. I know you're holding a while. We're going to get to you right after. Sarah, you're on the air with Mordechai. For those of you listening in, tuning in now for the first time, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weimerger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weimerger, licensed clinical social worker. We want to thank, as always, amazing... Harav Nissen, for having and taking care of everything that's happening over here on jrootradio.com. We would like to thank Aaron for everything he's doing, taking care of the phones, the techni- technical stuff. For those of you that see what it's like, you can watch us live on the Lakewood Scoop and on yeshivaworld.com. So we want to thank you for taking care of all that stuff. Also, um, just for the call that we had in the hum about the child at Nebuchadnezzar on ventilator, our listeners just sent in a text to tell me, that the where I mentioned that that friend that family that friend of mine that the takes um, s- children that are not physically well that need ventilators and need things like that for Shabbos the family can have a break. The organization is called Bein Ish Ubein Achav. Bein Ish Ubein Achav. So Echav, I, I spelled it with the Yuba. It could be Ben Echav, whatever it is. Look it up. Try to find it. Try um, you know contacting. Look in the organizations and. Get, through, get in touch with them and take time for yourselves. There are unbelievable organizations, Mika Amcho Yisrael, that were out there to help for anything and everything. There is an organization that one person has started. So thank you. Thank you for that information to our listener in the 718 area code, at least based on the text that you sent us from. Sarah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure and honor. Okay, I'm trying to help somebody... <clears throat> work through um, a feeling of disgust for a, another family member. Um, I, I'm having a hard time understanding it because it's, it's, it's an extended family member that lives a, a very non-religious lifestyle and has said, you know, a lot of very disgusting things over their lifetime. And this other sibling is having a tremendous issue with disgust. Now, I, I know it's a funny word to use. But it's, it's not, not funny. My, it's not just, my terminology. It's, very, it's just so ambiguous that it's so not detailed because I understand why you want to keep it private and confidential. It's just very hard to deal with that. You're helping okay, someone that's disgusted sisters. about someone that went off the derech. Okay, no, let, let, okay, I'm sorry. It's just yeah. three sisters, okay? Okay. Okay. All three are close, but one it's not all three are close together. Okay. So let's I'm still close too ambiguous. Both. Let's go sister A, sister B, sister C. I I right. think in very grounded technical okay, so terms. Okay, I'm B. I'm B. 
Okay, Sister A is what? Sister A is from, Sister Sist- C is not. Okay, so Sister B, you're Sister B that you I'm can Sister understand. I'm Sister B, and I'm get, I get both. I'm, you get both, so you get Zetznebuch from all sides. No, 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 I'm close to both. You're close to both. But Extremely when each one has complaints on the other, you're the one that gets to hear about it. No, oh. no, it's not complaints. What it is is, is that I am close to Sister A, I'm close to Sister C separately. I, they, I don't have all, we're not all three together at the same time. That's right. Well, because you, A can't tolerate C. That's right. Right. So I don't hear, I do not triangle. I'm okay. not hearing from each one about the other. Okay, I'm very hearing good. That's from one only. I'm glad hearing from expre- one. Great. I'm glad you clarified that. Fantastic. Okay. So A is, tells me about C, but C doesn't talk to me about A. Okay, now why is that, by the way, not triangulation? Well, it is, I guess, but it's not all three. So Thank I you. guess that's okay, why I said so it's let's not recognize. triangulation. So instead of getting from both, so you're not getting attacked from C, but you do get right. attacked sort of by A. For those right. of you that are listening that don't know what triangulation is, triangulation is in the family systems therapy. Unfortunately, sometimes, let's say you can have a father and a mother that are having shalom bias problems. So let's say the mother might connect to a child and complain about Tati to the child. So now the mother and that child has like formed a unit, and these two are against Tati. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes in family systems is Tati creates, now who's their allies? So now you can have a mother and a son on one team, father and daughter on the other, and each one's complaining about the other, and it doesn't get better until we start separating this triangulation and this mesh system that's happening. And we start making mommy, tati, got to work out your issues. We got to start getting kid A and kid B out of the system. And that's why it's called triangulation, the whole system, just for those of you listening. That's right. So now your question is that you want to be able to understand why sister A is disgusted by sister C? My question is, I think sister A needs to go for therapy to work out her disgust. Of course. I am not the therapist. Exactly. And it took a while until they figured out that they were disgusted. So that was a a lot of work on their part, and they did figure it out. They also don't understand how I can have a relationship with Sister C. We're so different. How do you even relate to her? When you say they, who is they? I'm sorry, A. Sister A doesn't understand how I have a relationship with Sister C. Now, they call something as a Freudian slip. Is there your sister A, someone else on her side, like maybe your parents that don't understand how you can have a relationship with Sister C? Just asking, when you said they... Yes, the family is sort of divided in this. Exactly. There are some who are fine and we love her. We love Sister C anyway, even though she doesn't live our lifestyle. And I accept her the way she is, and I, I have to sort of border, sort of make a gate between what she lives like and the rest of her that I like to be yes. able to continue my relationship with her. Yes. And I work on it, and it's very hard, but I do it because, number one, I don't want to push her away. Yeah. And number two, I love her. She's my sister for years. And Beautiful. I, we always had a relationship. Beautiful. She became, and to be you know, aware, if there's ever a chance of bringing her back, this right, is the only way. Right, it's only going to be if I'm here. Exactly. That's the only way. If there's any connection, that's the only chance for someone to come back. Right. But I did have to put up my a lot of boundaries yes. about what I want entering my brain space that's in right. order for me to stay sane. And, and Amazing. I'm giving you I'm giving you almost a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes, you. that is a very difficult balance to learn and how to do it 
Excellent. Fantastic. Right. So now let's go to your question. My question is how do I, what can I tell Sister A? Is, it, is the answer therapy? That's my question, really. Is the answer therapy, or could a person work on themselves on accepting somebody else? And I don't know where the disgust comes from if they think too much into her lifestyle, which is just yeah. secular. Let's start creating some awareness into your sisters, A, and to those family members. Many people have a self-esteem based on how my life looks. And do you know the busyness that might happen? Be, or the Shadduchim might get affected now when it's known because this and this sister is off the Darach. I'm not saying it's reality. Mm-hmm. But just to create, can you imagine what some fears might be going across? Could yes. you imagine maybe Sister A's husband says, Oh, you think your family's so perfect? Look at your mother. She or father. She has a daughter that went off the Darach. By us, the kids are only fighting. <laughs> Who knows what is going on? And many times our outer manifestation is disgust into an... If we have disgust to a sister or to a, someone does something hurtful, I always tell the client, let's go into your heart. What's your pain? And you'll find once we can deal with the pain, then we can let go of others. So unfortunately, I told people, how hurt are you with what is going on in Uganda right now? People are being killed there. Hundreds of thousands of children are without food. There's no bathrooms. I just read in India, 60% or 40% of the country doesn't have bathrooms. How much does that affect you? Yet three boys in Eretz Yisrael are kidnapped. How much does that affect you? Right, because when it's close to home. That's right. When someone has a sister, a family member that's off the derech or going through a painful situation, everyone gets triggered. There Mm -hmm. might be guilt and blame going on in your sister. Maybe I should have helped her. Maybe I did something once that caused her to go off. It might might not even be rational, but those are some Mm -hmm. of the steps that we identify in therapy. What's going on within yourself? And it could be minute, and it could even be not true, but if your feelings feel that way, you're going to react according to that step. So there might be a lot of forgiveness needing to happen, and when you do that, that's... Forgiveness in who? In, in herself? Both. In, yeah, in, in, in Sister A. Mm-hmm. She might need to forgive herself. She might need to forgive her sister for breaking her glass, her glass tower. There might be mm-hmm. other pains coming along. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. For breaking her glass tower. I like that one. You think that, it... That, that might... That might <laughs> I don't know, but I, that, it's, an, it's, it's a phrase to, I can give her to chew over. Yes. And let's understand, whenever someone does something and it disgusts us, that means it's personal. And the type of therapy that I'm a very big believer, it's called Rogerian therapy, it's called client-centered theory, and Mm -hmm. it's really olive-based in Yiddishkeit, especially in the Chesidish Esfram, Yavrabli Melech, Rabzish, it's all over, brought down that anything you see that happens is a message for you. Which means if something is going on in client-centered theory, someone does something that's triggering you, don't blame the other, start identifying this is an opportunity to learn what is my pain, and mm-hmm. what do I need to grow in this situation? Mm-hmm. Now, I had a very interesting question because... Okay, and then we'd like to go to some more okay, callers because people are just waiting. Regarding this so. disgust, it's when I spend time with Sister C, Sister A tells me that it's almost like there are vibes coming through me, and she can't talk to me for a day after I spent the that's day right. with the other there sister. There is a triangulation, and that's where this starts getting their mesh system, and that just means that Sister A needs work. Okay. Something is going on over there, and you might need to sometimes And it's separate. personal. It has to be, right? It has to be. There's no way for it not to be personal. If you speak okay. to her, she can't talk to you for a day. There must be something inside going on. 
One other okay. thing just to be aware of, mm -hmm. and that might help you, is when you speak to her, go, I am not Sister C. Okay. We do that in a role. Sometimes a therapist needs to do role play, needs to change roles. Sometimes I need to work with a client, be now their parent. Okay, so I'm going to be the mother or the father that you're upset at, or I'm going to be now the child that's not listening to you. Mm -hmm. And it's important sometimes to say, now I am not being the role of your child mm -hmm. anymore. Now I am not the role of your parent. Now I am again Mordechai. Mm -hmm. And this can sometimes separate that you shouldn't get the anger or the frustration. Okay. So it won't take a day or two. You'll go, hi, I'm calling now as Sister B. I'm uh -huh. not Sister C, and I'm not being Sister A B in A, where we talk about C now. I'm talking about just, I'm just Sister B to you. I want to talk about my kids now. Mm -hmm. And that might help out that you don't need to wait a whole year, a whole day for her to calm okay. down or two days after you spoke to Sister C. I see. So okay. changing roles and creating that awareness are some of the tools that help. Okay. Okay, Toby, all I can tell you is from the statistics of those that are helping the teens off the derech or the adults off the derech, connection is so far the number one point that everyone agrees with if it can be yeah. done without hurt, pain, malice, or negative Right. criticism if it's still there that can cause a lot more harm sometimes but still connection is still something yes i know all right okay so hope that everyone should be able to have their refu and to be able to be on the derech the right way amen thank you you're welcome okay Bye. okay mati online five thank you for holding an hour and we'll get to you right after mati you're on the oath mordechai thank you mordechai for taking my full fiscal minutes for giving up your precious time my pleasure. It really is my pleasure, by the way. I have a five-year-old who, I don't want to use the word anxiety because you're the doctor. Good. Let's just hold off a second. I just give, Whenever I get that, I always give the same hagdama. Any question under kids eight years old, I might just say that it is age-appropriate, normal, and this is where the parents just need parenting tools, how to deal with it. Not saying tools that you're not good or you're not a good parent. It's just that when you need the tools, you need, let's say, three or four consecutive weeks, one to build on the other. So anxiety might be called anxiety. I might just say it's age-appropriate, and just take a course or two, and you might find it disappear. So thank okay. you, and let's go ahead. Let's hear your question. Every single time there's any change in a plan, uh, he's going on the bus, he's not going on the bus, or one of uh, my wife or myself are leaving the house, we're going to a house, anything that's any change... In, in his schedule, in his routine, he literally has an attack. He, 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 he cries, he's nervous, he, he can even throw up. Um, he's petrified. He's petrified. He'll ask us 12 times, is anyone leaving? Mommy, I'm going to ask you a question, Rebotl. I'm going to ask you a question and ask me. I'm sorry, and I want to give you the choice to say it's private. I don't want to go there. Which one, you or your wife, and leaning more to your wife, has, suffers from major anxiety? Always worried Myself. about things happening. Myself. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was wrong on that one. You asked it pretty calmly, not like someone that's usually triggered. So let me share with you a concept, and it goes as follows. Information from our logic brain does not get transferred to another person without verbalizing it. That means if I am a surgeon, and I want to teach the next surgeon how to become, next doctor how to become a surgeon... I need to verbally explain it. They need to have hands-on training how to get that. However, the emotional part of the brain, if I want to give across an emotion, I cannot talk about it. It will not be experienced until I experience it or the emotion is felt. 
That means I remember many times I would go to my Rebbe, to Rosh Hashim Pam Zatzal, in his house. We would, the last three, four years of his life, he was suffering and recovering from Yenam Achla. So he wasn't well enough to go to yeshiva to give the two and a half hour share twice a week. We would go to his house, which was two blocks away. Walking through that door, there was just peacefulness. And I'm not saying it, everyone says it. It was just a manucha to that house, and that's the energy that he had. Besides of being Godel Adar, there was just a peacefulness that when people come with the greatest problems, you just felt calm. Emotions are felt. Anxiety is felt. And I've just seen that one of the research, I was just reviewing different research studies, and one of the, t- and one of the sites had one of the top 10 research studies that were conducted in 2013 is about how emotions are conducted, can be passed on to another. So if I am very nervous and I'm yelling, chances are everyone in the room, if you're going to start seeing the brain waves, it will be that nervous. So therefore, let's understand, when I get many times questions about children with anxiety, I tell the parents, go for help. Learn to work on your anxiety because feelings are felt. So you can use the words, be calm, what are you worried about? But the feeling is what will go over. So feelings are transferable. Logic needs to be given over. Okay. So the minute you will start getting relaxed and assured, you will find that your son is just comfortable, especially at the young ages. So now I could recommend that you send him to play therapy or to someone that to do emotional for his anxiety, but I don't want to call it a waste. But being if you still have the anxiety, it's going to be recreating your stressful situation. It's interesting that my anxiety comes out in a total different area than this. That's right. You're going to find that anxieties do not have to be the same, but the wavelengths are, will be the same. Mm-hmm. So I am a very, very big proponent of if their children have anxiety and a parent has it, work on it. And it's amazing how you hear from parents, and that's also what happens in a lot of parenting classes. The minute the parent gets the tools, how to deal with the kid, they say the kid automatically stopped testing me even without me changing, even without me implementing it. And they go, why? And to me, it's so simple. The minute you're confident, you have the tools, the kid feels automatically, I'm not going to test this person. How many times, and children are very attuned to feelings, how many times do we see in class a teacher walks in the first day and everyone knows this guy we're not messing with? You heard the teacher say, everyone sit down with that tone or whatever and Without saying, they don't get tested 80% of what other teachers got tested. Feelings are, can be transferable. I'm here. A pleasure, and thank you. Can I ask you one more question? Let's see. Yes, go ahead. You you mentioned before to this woman about uh, her feelings and how this whole muscle with the cuff and it gets overflowed and how you have to be full. How would you give this same advice to a teacher or a ready? Of course. Got to take care of yourself. When you're tired, when you're exhausted, you don't have shalom bias, you're having three kids that you don't know how you're going to deal with in class, you're overwhelmed. How are you going to teach the rest of the class? If you can take a night away, if you can take a course in class management, if you can maybe deal with that kid, have the parents take care of the kid, if you can deal with whatever personal issues are going on at home, relax. If you're suffering, let's say, from anxiety and you can take care of your anxiety now, you'll be very relaxed in class, and it will affect the class the same way. I know in Eretz Yisrael, because I have a cousin that's a teacher in Eretz Yisrael and a Rebbe, and of their part of the curriculum is a Rebbe and a teacher take about a week course, and they get paid for that during that time. 
It's done during the summer, and sometimes they even have, you know, two, three days off. And that's the point where they can get training. It's nine to three, usually those centers, and the rest of the day you're off. You're in some hotel, pretty, uh, you know, cost-effective, and wow. the teachers just feel great. It's like a vacation plus getting training. Like, it's mandatory. Thank you very much. Hashem should bless you with many years. Amen. Me and my whole mishpacha and of all Klai Yisrael. I like to belong Amen. to a whole group. I would Thank be very know. lonely to have that bracha just me alone. <laughs> Amen. V'chein lamar. Same to you, Reb Matal. Siyata deshmaya. Great. We are going now to Aaron. Aaron on line six. Thank you for holding the number. If you'd like to call in with your question or comment is 718 683 683-5858 and for those of you that would like you can also try texting in we are primarily going to deal with the, um, the call is that call in but we will be addressing a question or two Meretz Hashem um, Aaron you're on the air with Mordechai thank you very much for taking my phone call um, I have a question about um, my wife um, I've been married for five and a half years and I, uh, we can't have kids. Went to our own oil, we did everything we needed to do, and I feel like all she wants to do, even though she works and I work, makes buy clothes and buy stuff. And I feel like it's my fault because I cannot give her a child. And I'm a Belchuva. And yeah. for me, it's important to have kids with my wife and we're very happy but like a lot of times she is very very emotional and I don't know what to do. Okay. Let's take a step back, Rabaron. Do you know of the organization called A Time? Uh yes, we're actually going on um a Shabbaton next week with A Time. So I know that A Time deals with this. I know they have therapists and volunteers that you can speak to, and this is the most common issue that there is, which means if the Rabbi Shleilam has told certain parents, I'm not, as of now, based on what's going on, that it's not possible to have children. The Rabbi Shleilam does that sometimes for whatever idea he has. There are emotions on the guilt if it's from the husband or the wife, whatever it should be. And this is normal issues, and they have those that deal with it. They have those that are professional and to help you out with that. It's a normal guilt to feel, and you might want to try to overcompensate by letting her shop. It's normal, unfortunately, if the wife feels that, and then to feel guilty and to try to please the husband more. Let's understand that it's something that's very workable, and I don't want to go more into it in detail because we have a lot of teenagers listening, and I don't want to do too much more. That All I want you to know is you are 100% normal, the guilt is normal, the feelings are normal, and just let's have, speak to the therapists, speak to their volunteers, because I know for a fact in one of their forums, I know that was recently going on in a time where that was an entire discussion going on over there. Okay, Aaron, you're not alone, and the Rabbi Shleim should send you everything that is needed, that of course we know the Rabbi Shleim is able to. One of the great brachas that we see from the Imohas that the Medrash brings down is, that the Rabbi Nishleim made it that they shouldn't be able to have children, and the Rabbi could change that, and he has changed that in the past, and he can do it right now. With the Muna and Batach, we need to do ours. We need to do everything as well, our Hishtadlis. But keep on going. 
Go to A Time, discuss it over there. There are forums for husbands, forums for women, forums for both together. Everything is done over there with Das Taira. And as a Balchuva, as a human being, everyone wants to be able to have something do that. And you might even need to deal with your own guilt to yourself that the Rabbi Shalem has held you back from having something that you want so much. So contact A Time, find some of their volunteers that they have, some of the professionals that they have. They're really a fantastic organization. You've mentioned some of the greatest organizations, Bona Olam, A-Time, RCCS, so many fantastic or high lifeline. I can just go through the list of them that are that are really amazing. Okay, Aaron. Um, can I ask you one more question? Let's see. And is it is it more, let's, I don't know how to say more more teenage appropriate, but is it along the question that you've had? No. It's oh. a whole different question. Okay, sure. Um, I have a problem with myself where I, like, I have a very special Harusha that I learn every night with. And he's a great person, but I feel like sometimes he, like, overdoes it. And I feel like when he learns with me, I know he wants me to do my best and everything because I'm a Valchua. But at the same time, I feel like my head is, like, not in, in the right place because even though I'm, I'm learning Tzitzit Shikonorach, I'm almost done making a CM on it. Wow. But I just, yeah, it's a very, very big thing. Five and a half years learning it in Baruch Hashem. But I just want to understand for myself, how do I become a better person by um, telling him that, you're doing everything correct. You just it's me that I need time. I need um like uh like for him to um what's the word to be able to just take a step back and let me go in my own pace that I be able to understand what I'm doing. I think you've said it so eloquently and so clearly right now. Just the way you've done it, just tell that to him. It mm-hmm. was so clear. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And siyata deshmaya and the Rebbein Shalom Shemetz Hashem send you bonum bnei bonum oiskim b'tayr b'mitzvus and the Rebbein Shalom should send you everything that you need healthy and gesund. Amen. And fantastic shalom bayis as well. Amen. Thank you. Bye. Be well. Okay. So we are going to go to Shandy online too. Shandy or Sandy on line two. You're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Um, this is about a girl in our family that recently a shidduch has been read to her. Um, the girl is a perfect girl. Everything about the boy is nice. Great family. But the shatran was very upfront and made us aware that the boy has been on medication and he's been in therapy for quite some time and he has grown really a lot from it. So three questions. I want to know the fact that the boy has been off medication is that sort of a remission phase where the boy is prone to a relapse. Question number B is 
is it offensive on the girl's part to request uh, medical records, like a release for medical records? Yes. And see what is your, I mean, do you see any concern with this matter? Like, what's your opinion about this whole thing? Okay, so I'm actually writing it down this way I can remember it. So I'm just writing for step one, what's my thought about medication? Two, permission for release. Ah, oh, hold on, this pen isn't working. I, okay, okay. And what was the third one? Um, if there is a, you know, if there is a, a possibility of relapsing, because I have heard people that have been on medication when they were young girls or boys, and when they got married, they, you know, with kids and stress and everything, you know, they just had a relapse and they messed, their whole entire life was messed up. So, All right, so let me tell you, you are very much machaven to a huge controversy that's going on right now on my phone line. I've got daily questions and answers that I respond to, mm-hmm. and I've gotten a question this week of someone asking very similar question, that they are in Shidduchim, they're, they're being read a top boy from a top family. And I'll share with you my response, and then I'll share with you some of the letters I've gotten for, pro and con, and then we'll also take it to the next level again, to the third level. So for those of you that are interested, just hearing my phone line of some of the questions that people have asked, the number is 718-298-2011, 718-298-2011, and it's section 6, for the, for the questions and answers section. Now, let's, let me share with you what I've responded. And it goes as follows. I don't know why, and I'm not going into why, but the Rabbi Nishlam has made this generation a weaker generation emotionally. What does that mean? That means that, unfortunately, our grandparents, or those grandparents that are still alive, or our parents that are a generation older than me, that have gone through the Holocaust, have been walked in the street, have been shot in the street, have been ridiculed in the street, have been refused to be permitted to enter stores, has had every country in the world turn them down, even this great amazing country that we live in now, America, but they've only accepted X amount of visas. So we've been denied on every level, and these people were able to recreate a world, a Yiddish movement, a Jewish renaissance that we have today, that's unheard of. No one in their wildest dreams would believe 70, 80 years later that we are going to look like this, ever. In fact, the first children that people gave birth, that the Rabbi Shalem sent right after the war, one of the famous sayings of Holocaust survivors, or even the war survivors, was an common Hitler. means you said there will never be the Jewish nation, there will never be more children. So many children were born, and with every child, they say, on a common Hitler, on a common Hitler, to say, you see, we are growing, we are surviving, and we will make it. There was a doubt in the minds if Chassashon Kleisor will ever survive, even though we have the Aftacha, but going through years of oppression. Now, for some odd reason, that amazing strong generation, two generations later, we yell at a kid in class, and we're depressed and we're down. We're going over the derech for a Rebbe or a parent strict to us, Yet, when we're over there, in those times, we've been made fun of, jid, and everything like that, and we held strong. So I've already stopped telling people of figuring out why this generation is different than the other one. 
The other one today would not be in the situation we're in, or maybe they would be because the Rabbi has changed Teva. I don't know why, and I'm not going to speculating why the world has changed. One thing is sure. The world has changed. People having nervous breakdowns at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, at 30, at 40, at 50, which they haven't really had in the past based on what we're making that assumption. People are not being knocked down and broken down every time you tell them they had a tough Rebbe. The generation before, some of my parents, you know, my parents, you have their friends saying the Rebbe used to beat us up and we continued. Maybe the repercussions weren't good that we continued that, but the point is they didn't break down just from that. For whatever reason, this generation is different, which means medication is now an option in this generation and it's being given more and more. One of the proofs that's being given more is People aren't even going anymore to psychiatrists. General practitioners, general doctors are those that are now prescribing the classical medications. They're always allowed to, but it's more and more common for that to happen. Which means further that the fact that you're asking this question is already an improvement to 20 years ago. 20 years ago, the minute you heard a boy had medication, it wouldn't even be a question. Of course not. Or you heard a girl took medication, it would be of course not. Today, ADD medications for kids that are hyperactive is normal. Today, to have therapists coming to schools, it's normal. I believe that this issue where someone will be taking medication for six months or a year or two years or a teenager, I believe is very normal, unfortunately, and it's becoming more and more common, and we need to get used to that. And what does that mean? does not mean the family's wrong. does not mean the kid is broken. Many times in our system that we've created, now I'm not creating, calling a chas v'shalom, saying anything about the Rabbanim or the teaching system. I'm talking about us, the individual, us, the parent. We want the best. We want our kid to be in the best yeshiva, learn all the time, get hundreds. Let's stop with his lies. This is what is causing the stress. This is what is causing our children to break. This is what's causing our adults 30 and 40 year olds to crumble we need to make so much money that our names are on the buildings we need to have our names advertised all over do you know what we do we need to make a simcha that's so expensive we are the ones that need to change these people they like blaming the rabbanim like blaming the askanim they're here to help us they're speaking we're not listening to them I hear Rabbanim speaking all the time, saying, relax, calm down with the Pesach cleaning. I hear Rabbanim telling the men, stop working so much and be home and spend some time with your kids. Do any of us listen? I should say, those that listen are having a calmer life. So I want to empower the individual. Which means, if we are not teaching our kids that we make mistakes, if we are not teaching our kids by example of slowing down and calming down, and not fulfilling everything, and learning that 80s are 100, 80, getting 80 and above is excellent, don't go for that 9,500, stop those lies, stop it, then we are creating and we're going to have more and more of this. This was a speech that I sort of gave in my question and answer, and therefore, if the person has gone for med- has been on medication, has gone for therapy, and is now okay and stable, then I would say, yes, go ahead, look for it, That look, go ahead and look into it. Step one. Now, your second question, do you have permission to ask for release forms? I would say it's a must. Just as if someone would have, you would find they had some illness and they're better, you want to speak to the doctor, ask for a release force as well from the therapist that they went to. You want to make sure they're really done. You want to make sure they're stable. You want to make sure it's clear. That is a must. Now, what is the chance of a relapse? Here we're going to go to answer that now to the next part. I got certain different messages from two, or it was really four messages. I was at a simcha where someone said a therapist should be shot. 
their child got married to someone that was on medication. They said got off and better, and unfortunately the person did not. The person and now the family is separated and divorced, all because of lies that they were not given. And that person is right. Medication is still a diagnosis. You need to do your research. You're not allowed to lie, and a therapist is not allowed to lie legally. You want to make sure there's a complete release form to say that. I had someone else send another message that I read saying they are now Bachshem happily married at the second marriage, but the first one was a disaster because they're married to someone that was angry and nervous and didn't want to take their medication when they had to. And therefore saying if someone's on medication, run away, don't get close. And that person even said there are enough healthy people out there, don't touch it. Then we got two other messages from people saying, I am someone that was on medication and Bachshem, I got much better, I'm healthier. I'm successful. I am now a better wife and a better parent to my kids because I've learned my issues. I'm not a perfectionist anymore. I can work things out. And that person was saying, I believe those that don't want to go for therapy or those that never went for therapy, that's part of the issue. And because you've avoided it or they haven't gone for therapy, now they're suffering and Shalom Bayes is suffering years later and it even goes on to kids. Because, oh no, therapist is terrible. Medication is terrible. And this is where we left that. Then the latest update, which was as of yesterday, besides for today's question and answer, was two of the parents, or two of the people, sent messages as follows, saying that I, they felt I missed an important component. And that is, medication is not the focus. The focus is, did the people work through their issues? So as the one said, those people that took medication and didn't go for therapy, or didn't want to work through their issues, are giving them the bad name are giving whoever takes medication a bad name, and those that go for therapy a bad name. Therapy works. You go for therapy with Siata Deshmaya, you're healed, you learn the tools, and you're getting better. But how many people, as even one of the people said, that take medication, now when life gets more responsibility, all medication did was it band-aid the problem that they could function, and now that they have more responsibilities in life, and they're, so they're just raising the medication instead of learning how to deal with it, now they're creating problems. So what I would like to say is as follows. You want to make sure that this person that has taken medication has worked through their issues. The important part's not medication. Or it is. If they've worked through their problems and they're off the medication, great. If they haven't worked through their problems, even if they're off the medication, but you get information, they don't get along with people, they're not friends, they're tough, they're mean, they're cheap, they're angry, they're shy, they're too quiet, they'll never say an opinion, then you got to work on it. I do not want to say what to be done. I believe each case needs to be individualized. But I definitely believe that more and more of our families are going to be suffering from a mental illness. More and more of our children are going to be sent to therapists. And I think if therapy is now here to stay, we need to start changing our criteria of what medication means and what therapy means. If someone went for therapy, I do not believe that that is now going to be an issue to hold back a shidduch. Um, does that sort of answer some of your questions? I think questions? this is very, very clear and very, very uh, informative, very valued information. Um, so what I'm gathering is basically that you don't really so much focus on the idea of medication, medication. You rather focus on how the person is performing because you might have a person that is not doing very well and is just simply avoiding medication. That's right. And these people, unfortunately, when they get married, they do not have the tools how to work out a problem because, oh, no, they told, everyone told me to go to a therapist. You know how many times I've got clients where they tell me, oh, everyone's telling my father, my mother to go for therapy and they're not going? This person as a teenager also didn't. I've, I've had recently someone tell me 
that one of the Rebbeim told him and said, boy, how will you ever get married? And guess what? This person's got marriage issues. Everyone saw it. Now, I don't know the details. I'm just using those sayings that when you hear everyone saying there are problems and the person doesn't go for help, Sam's to be this person I know is going for help. And this person has looked for help, but the therapists weren't helping. But the concepts, we all see the issues. So the concept is basically no one is exempt because you, know, you, you never know where life can really uh, bring, to, bring a person to. And uh, we never know who, who might need that medication. So That's we really right. cannot focus Let's on not judge because it might just be our husband, our wives, it's our children, our parents. There might be a trauma. There might be some stress. There might be some business collapsing. And today's days of the Rabbani Shalom has given us that opportunity where medication just helps. The stigma is changing. We are changing. And what we got to look at is the quality of the person. And at 1,000%, you must speak to the doctor. You must speak to the therapist. And for those of you that are doing the Litvish dating system, date longer. Speak longer. I should also say one other point that someone mentioned in that message, in that second message said, that they know someone that was dating, and they told, because it looks like it was a girl, and they told the chassan just before they got engaged that they are going to a therapist, and they went together to a therapist, and they worked it out, and because they were able to go to a therapist, they explained, they went it out together, and they explained everything. Their marriage is fantastic. They're able to work out so many issues that take so many couples three years to work out. They were able to do it right away in the first year, and their shana roshana, their marriage is stronger than ever. So all I'm here to tell you is it's a very controversial topic. It can be very dangerous if you don't look out, if you don't do the right research, if the person's on medication, if the person's off medication, if the person's on therapy, if the person's not in therapy. Shaduchim, I feel, is very important and part of the reason why we are having the amount of divorces that we're happening is we are not doing enough research and we're not giving the person enough to be free. Imagine you can date and say some of your chesreinus. Imagine someone could say, you know, I get a little tense sometimes instead of just putting our best face forward. Imagine when we're dating, we could say, you know, I have some issues with my parents. I have some issues following authority. And the, the, the boy and the girl can both say that. That's reality. How are we going to work it out? And again, not the issue that it should be said, that it should be worked out in the yeshivas where every teenager has got to identify this and this is my issue and I got to work on it. No, if you're not ready to get married, we need a parent strong enough to say, you are missing the main tools to have a successful marriage. You're not ready yet. That is okay. important. And that's something we're not doing now. I'm hearing the kid is getting older. We got to marry him off or he'll miss the boat or she'll miss the boat. Let someone else deal with it. It'll be their problem. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Very, very informative. Again, thank you very much. Thank for all this you. Information. You should be successful, and the Rabbanu Shalom should guide you to do the right decision. And I'm always a big believer in having a Rav help you out during this process. Don't do it on your own. Thank We're going to go to Ruchi on line three. Ruchi, you're on there with Mordechai. And we got three minutes to go. So, Ruchi, you'll probably be our last caller. Yeah, hi. Um my child recently came home and... Hold on, let me give my happened. same little waiver and disclaimer. Anyone that is asking a question under the age of 8 years old, chances are that I will be saying your kid is healthy, normal, and appropriate, and all that's missing is some tools, and it's called parenting classes for those that have it that's over there, and the reason why I recommend that is, and the reason why I can't give it over here, is very simple because it's a process-based system. So in order to learn the tools, you got to first go like through first grade, second grade, third grade. So it's usually like four or five lessons till you get the tools, how to do that. And I just cannot do that 
over the air. So, like one right. time. Anyway, so, let's hear your question. How old is your kid? It's, she's 14. 14? Oh, I'm sorry. When yeah. you said kid, I assumed a young kid. Okay. My mistake. Yes. A mother always calls a child young. Um, basically, what happened was she came home, and I asked her what happened during the day. I thought she was really sad. And I was watching the way she was reacting, and it looked like she just couldn't speak. So I asked Wait, I'm her, sorry. Say that again, because I'm not getting it. You have your 14-year-old child. Yes, and one day she came home and she looked really sad. Yeah. So I asked her what, what you happened. you say one day? It's one day this year, one day years ago? No, like one day this week. This week? Okay. Yeah, yesterday actually. And she, and she asked me what, and, and I asked her what happened and she didn't, and she couldn't express herself. And I was looking at her and I was thinking like, she usually is so expressive, like what happened? And, and then later she asked me, she asked me, Mommy, is there such a possibility that a person cannot express something when they are under tension, like they lose their ability to speak? And I was just wondering... Sorry, it's, t- I'm, it's just a bit quiet. If, if you can, I'm just hearing it quiet. She couldn't speak and you're asking her, why can't you speak? Yeah, and she didn't answer. So I let her. And later on in the evening, she came, like around 10, 10 by night, she came and asked me, is there such a thing that when a person is under like extreme trauma, they, they can't speak? Like they physically can't? Do you know what? I feel it's such an important question because the answer is yes, and I would like to give you the tools how to deal with it. We've got maybe 30 seconds left. So I would like to ask you if you can just call up next week, Merit Hashem, Tuesday between 12 and 2, and we're going to ask, take your question first. Just tell Aaron that you're the one that called and we didn't have time. It's a fantastic question, and Merit Hashem will be able to help you out and give you some tools to deal with it. Thank you all for listening, all right, and we'll see you after Merit Hashem, we will all deal with you. We'll all take the questions and answers, questions, comments next week. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it, and see you after